0: or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there.
1: There's a difference between actually knowing POC versus what you see on television that's not real correct and so that's not intimacy but it's perceived relationship in the brain as we know what we see on tv the brain can't tell the difference right
0: you are listening to the holistic life navigation podcast i am your host luis mojica i'm a holistic therapist and my goal is to teach people how to find safety in themselves I use nutrition, herbalism, self-inquiry, and somatic therapy to heal the body and mind of trauma. I have learned that each and every one of us has the ability to heal, to love, and to access all of the answers we're looking for. To do this, we first need to learn how to listen to our bodies and understand our minds. Let us begin. So welcome to part two of my discussion with April Harder founder of the Racism Recovery Center in Colorado. April is a licensed clinical social worker and she has created this system for healing racism that she calls Racism Recovery Center. And it's essentially a philosophy and a practice, a theory as well, of seeing racism through the lens of trauma. I find her work to be really powerful and effective because when you can work on the trauma around racism, you can understand your unconscious defense mechanisms, you can understand your lineage of what you're upholding, and as a system and a culture and a community and a country and a world, as we change these laws that do not work in favor of all races, and these laws need to change, we still have to uphold these laws. So the policemen and women, city council, the lawyers, the judges, the real estate agents, the corporations, these are all created, run, driven by people, human beings with nervous systems, who have trauma. And some of that trauma is colored with race. So if we can heal that trauma individually and within our networks, we can heal racism as a whole.
1: my folks who... If they've experienced trauma recovery, then it's sort of like, in a way it's like asking well, what's left, how I've had mm-hmm. so many white people. They go, I've been going to therapy for years. I've healed. A, I've gone to EMDR, you know, I've done EMDR. I've done somatic experiencing. I've done all these things, you know, whatever. And how come when we talk, there are parts That have not been addressed. I thought I had nipped it all in the bud in therapy. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: That's because white supremacy is taught, and what this does is that if it blinds a white person, it blinds people to emotional maturity.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Again, they haven't socialized with POC, they don't know how to have intimate relationships with POC. And so it's a part of them that has not matured, and this is the reason why when they come to anti-racism spaces, they feel like children. And in a way, they kind of are. And that's what takes them back to the childhood trauma, because it means it's something that they are neophytes in understanding Socialization with POC, and that's why a lot of white people also follow these influencers. Who like, I want to learn to socialize with POC. I don't. I need to immerse myself and racially integrate myself. But here's the problem, Luis, is that then, in real life, they don't do that.
0: I'm just gonna ask you that.
1: Oh, they don't do that. Most right. of my clients, they don't actually. Mm. Actually, I can't say that. No, no, that's not true. Well. In this batch, I can't say that, but the original batches that were on video, many of them actually had intimate relationships with POC. (sighs) However, a lot of white people on Instagram actually in real life don't have intimate relationships with POC. In other words, they Mm
2: -hmm, aren't within mm -hmm, the friend
1: circle, the soulmate mm -hmm. circle, or the friendship circle. That level of intimacy, they're not even there. So it's like, so how do we expect solidarity and, and, and all that? you don't even have any friends,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. not even at a minimum friends that you Mm -hmm. share intimacy with, Mm -hmm. how could you possibly have empathy Mm -hmm. when one of the biggest ways to develop intimacy with people is to be friends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so but what's sad is I think a lot of white people then want to make friends with POC, but then they're like, I don't want to exploit them. So what it is, it has to do with, what is your objective? So white people, ask that. what is their purpose when they're trying to make friends or interact with POC? Unfortunately, it becomes performative. It's really all about yeah.
0: it. Really yeah. is all
1: about how they look, and so
0: I mean, the end goal, I, like we're friends now. So I Check. want to get
1: back to the business aspect. Okay, I'm sure you've seen this on an Instagram post about visibility doesn't equate to trust. Mm-hmm. So what a lot of white people do nowadays is that they're hiring companies and they're trying to get their visibility. Oh, you know, um, I'm hiring so many POCs so that we have some equity, inclusion, and blah, blah, right? Okay, now that may seem really good on the surface, right? Okay, we've got POC and adver- advertising now, like we're trying to do representation. Isn't that a good thing? But the problem is that you do that and then you have not achieve racism recovery. What happens when you actually interact with that client? So what you're doing is that you're saying one thing, but you really haven't even dealt with your own emotions yet. Which means what happens is back to the covert racism. When you do performative allyship means I'm going to do all this surface shit. And I'm just going to call it like it is. It's all surface shit. And then the POC, Oh, you know what? Everything looks good here and safe. I think, I think I can trust this white person. Mm -hmm. Do, do, do. They go through the door. Oh yes. We would love for you to be here. Oh yes. We're not racist. And then they start exchanging businesses, they their clients, and this and that. Then when they're actually engaging with the POC, everything, okay, I've memorized all these rules. I've read all these books. I know exactly how to be a perfect white ally. And then one day they slip. And they say something racist, and they're like, "Wait a minute! This person says I'm racist. That can't be possible because I've read and done and everything." I'm what? So mm-hmm. Then they kick into then they kick into racist intellectualization and denial. That's then when white people then go out and go, "We need the next 2.0, 3.0, 4.0 version of something. Please teach me. We need to learn new rules that shelter us from being called out on our racism." Now there is a genuine desire to stop the racism. But on a deep subconscious level, what the narcissist mm-hmm. wants is to perform.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so really to get to that shadow and like white folks are listening, like you need to understand that like, you're not the exception just because even, you know, POC is you're not the exception because I'm going to talk about something very personal. And I, every now and then on Instagram, I talk about this. My own husband, of course is white. And in the middle of my coaching one day, my own husband said, uh, I don't benefit from white privilege. I don't know what you're talking about.
2: My mouth dropped. I was like, what did you just say? What? And I've been married to him for 20 years. And he up and just said, I don't benefit from white privilege.
1: So what does that prove? It proves that I can make love to this man for 20 years. I love him to the moon and stars this man is still acting in a racist way.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's, that, that's I want, I want again, people to hear that because when you hear acting in a racist way, yes. people think that it means, you know, some emotional behavioral mental action that's directed in a malicious way against a black person or a person. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it was it's, totally it's, unintentional. It's,
0: and, and it's even, but even in your example, it's so perfect because it's just even denial of how his existence affects someone else's. Just yeah. that is, is racially oriented.
1: Absolutely. So he went into racist denial mm-hmm. and intellectualization. He's like, well, I haven't, like, you know, I don't know how I benefited. I don't know how to, and you'll of course hear this on television. You'll hear people, white people say this, da, da, da. And it's, let me explain where that's coming from. It means that what happens is for white people is that they feel unheard that their experience is not heard Mm. that they, and their experience is getting dismissed because they don't see their existence as a privilege. They don't see that as a privilege. They don't, they don't see that. Um, however, this is where some examples do help. And this is what you're going to see on television. You see literally, um, like a really good example and I, and I wish I could remember the shows that do this but there actually are shows where uh, like undercover agents will, uh, journalists will take some kind of a shot or something and, and get melanation. Mm-hmm. They will literally like or do makeup and they'll go into blackface for example and they will literally go into society mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and see do I actually feel different now that I'm walking around in with melanated skin and they get Absolutely shocked and they experience the immediate, like they don't, it's hard for people to conceive this sometimes, but it does happen. So then when you see that, they're like, Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a good example of like for people who I wish that I knew what these shows were, but I've seen little show snippets where people are like, Mm -hmm. what is it like for a white person to actually walk in a black person's shoes, for example? And you know, you're melanin and you're walking the street and is there a difference?
2: There's
0: actually there- a really good Oprah episode where they take this white guy who's bald yeah. and they yeah. dress him up blackface all over. And he yes. spends the day just going into like simple places like the movie theater and getting some shoes. And there's a show I really love called What Would You Do? And yeah. it's, this, uh, it's a reality show, but it's setting up to see how does society react to people? They do really yeah. incredible ones with racism. There you go. Absolutely right. And it's very
1: eye-opening. It's very eye-opening even for the person. Mm -hmm. And then like one time I even saw, um, oh, I wish (sighs) about like redlining and about, I saw some type of clip or something where um, I can't remember which day. I really wish I could remember, but um, it might have been, what was it? New Jersey? I think it was, I can't remember where in New Jersey, but basically there was a study done. It was undercover stuff. And you had Black people and other POC go into neighborhoods with real estate agents. And then it was like, what well, was their experience? And they actually had like a hidden mic, and all, I mean, a hidden camera and all that good stuff. And the real estate agents flat out lied to them about things like they would Mm. say, Oh, this neighborhood is so safe and everything's good. And then literally the white person, I mean, the white person didn't even know what the POC was going through. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then the white person then went to that same real estate agent and the real estate "Yeah, you don't want to live here neighborhood like and actually it turns out it may or may not have been a you know actually a dangerous neighborhood mm-hmm. and they failed to tell the POC that oh no you can handle it here well no the white person we need to protect you we need to have you go into safe white mm-hmm. space right and so they did that and then what was really shocking for everyone is that all the little you know undercover undercover journalists and whatnot they then came back into a room and they watched the videos of their experiences and the white people were just Floored. Their mm. faces were like, whoa, <laughs> like, you... Wait a minute, this...
0: So people cog- of color were like, that happens all the time, no big deal.
1: Yeah, but the people of color actually also were very... They started crying.
0: Oh, wow, they did.
1: Uh-huh, some of them started crying.
0: Mm. Some of the women mm.
1: started crying they were like, I had no idea that I had been bamboozled like that.
0: Mm. So when you say... Because I think it's so important for people... White people get really defensive around the word white privilege, yeah. because they hear privilege and they think that means they never were in pain, they never suffered, or, they were or never or assaulted,
1: poverty or
0: poverty. Yeah. And yeah. I think that the best reframe I've heard or, and can imagine is it just simply means you haven't had an issue because you're white.
1: Yeah, like, pretty much. That's, a that's essentially what we effect. come down to. Absolutely, and that actually is a mainstream view that actually is very it's a beautiful way to, to frame that. I it think means- it
0: helps. Yes. Right? Because there's a, yes. when you hear privilege, you put that to so many other ideas. But yes. white privilege just means you haven't experienced issues because you're white. So no one's right. turned you away from a job and nothing, nothing like that because you're white.
1: But although I will counteract that and say that there are going to be white people listening, for example, who are from Hawaii, mm. that'll say, I'm discriminated because I am white. Mm-hmm. Or from someplace else where they're the racial minority. So mm-hmm. here's what I'm going to teach everyone today that no one ever talks about. White people will say, I'm the victim of racism. Okay. You're a victim of racial discrimination. Yes, you are. Everyone can experience racial discrimination.
2: The
1: difference is, is that if you're the victim of racism, we're talking like whole power structures were built against you. We're talking whole systems that were made to oppress you. Yep. Okay, like, yeah. if you experience racial discrimination, that does suck. It sucks. hmm but for the white folks that are listening, like, oh, wait a minute, I've, just, I've experienced reverse racism. No, no, no. You have not experienced racism. You, no. You have been the victim of racial discrimination. But the reason why you have is because your ancestors and other white people, unfortunately, ruined it for you. Because they've acted in racist ways. Those POC are now reacting in a trauma response to you and saying, back off. We don't like you. Get away from me. And so that's why that happens. A lot of white people are like, well, why can't a POC just treat me as is? Well, when you're a victim of racial trauma and you haven't healed from that, you're not going to, it's like any relationship. It's like, they're going to put conditions on you. So also another aspect of performative allyship is putting conditions on white people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The rules Mm -hmm. of anti-racism, you're putting conditions on a relationship. When we've been, when we've been gone through trauma and we've been betrayed, we've been betrayed in any relationship, we haven't healed from that. We're not going to give anybody the benefit of the doubt. And if, if somebody like, looks or reminds you of something that you experienced, where you experienced betrayal, man, you're going to put all these conditions. Well, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and I don't like this, and I don't like mm-hmm. that. And you can't mm-hmm. be like this. And that is actually also what is being taught to white people.
0: That's I'm so glad you're saying that because I've had this question in my mind for the last 20 minutes that I wanted to, and if this is okay, this feels like a good time to present it. Because what you're saying is again, it's totally total PTSD. It's like you know, past experience, past learned experience that was traumatic, projected onto the present. Yep. When you say to me, and I've heard, and maybe you didn't say it this way, but I've heard it many times, like you can't in America, at least, you can't be white and not racist or part of it in some way. Mm -hmm. The way I understand that to be true is is two ways. The systemic racism, like you were saying, like a fish Mm -hmm. in water, doesn't know they're Mm -hmm. in water. So there's this denial just because you don't even know it and how you're perpetuating it. But then there's this somatic way that really interests me. What you just said, Um, and I'm saying this from the the experience of a white person, let's say. I don't know how you can grow up in America and watch the news as like a six-year-old and see blackface after blackface after blackface with the word criminal next to it. Oh, yeah. movies with, uh, with the men who are raping and mugging and black men. I don't know how you can do that and not have a visceral threat response in your gut on a, exactly. on a primitive level. If a black man walks on the bus, you know, it's so, I'm, I'm so curious about that piece. Like the mind might be like, I, I have a black boyfriend, but there's still this thing from what you've been taught. Can you yes. speak to that?
1: Well, I can speak to that even on a personal level. Because raised Mm -hmm. by a white family, I was also taught to be afraid of black people. Amazing. Amazing. I will never forget my white grandma. I was at Kmart as a child. This was the 80s. And I remember going with her and she clutched her purse when she saw a black man walking. Mm -hmm. I will never forget that. I I looked
2: at my grandma. I said, Grandma, what are you afraid of?
1: Oh, it's nothing. It's just nothing. You know, she just just clutched her purse.
2: She was Mm -hmm. terrified. Mm -hmm.
1: And I'll never forget that. And I thought at that moment, I thought, is she afraid of me too?
2: I said, grandma, are you afraid of me?
1: Because I'm black. She's no sweetheart. I love you. I would never be afraid of you. Oh, but why are you then afraid of black? Mm-hmm. So this gets to police brutality too, because mm-hmm. like the reason in my viewpoint, the reason why at least just an assessment, I mean, like the reason why black men absolutely get way more violence to them is because they're perceived as a major threat to one's life. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like thinking, well, I got to put extra force on the black man.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's going to
1: turn around and kill me. Yeah, I'm like, what? And so, yes, that's a big way. Thank you for redirecting there. That is one of the ways that racism is taught. Like in society, so these are racist schemas. I call them schemas, yeah, because this is very much a racist schema. White people are taught racist schemas, and the schemas can be racial discrimination and uh, and racial stereotyping. All of these things. So white people are fed racial racist schemas, right? Mm-hmm. And then what they do is that they interact. With POC, so what you're saying, what you're talking about is there's a difference between actually knowing POC versus what you see on television and what you, that's not real. Correct. And so that's not intimacy, but it's perceived relationship in the brain. As we know, what we see on TV, the brain can't tell the difference, right? That's right. So that's really, to me, the reason why the somatic response occurs, because if you're getting that kind of brainwashing consistently, that's going to happen. Yes. And uh, so black people, for example, that let's say and you can see videos on this. Let's say a black person was socialized with mostly white folks. Believe it or not, you think why would that black person get scared of another black? Oh, well, they will mm-hmm. because they've been taught that fear around because they're around all these white people. Mm-hmm. I was taught that in my family, mm-hmm. where I would get scared of black people because initially I wasn't, I was just confused. Like, oh, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. But then after enough, Aspects of that socialization to be scared of black people and what you see on television—it's like then you start to hold, then you start mm-hmm. to believe that black people are a threat,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even
1: that's though nice. as a, I'm black, it's like what are you talking about? And then, mm-hmm. and that's why you see like white folks on these viral videos, and then mm-hmm. you pull a gun on someone, mm-hmm. and they just immediately they think they're a threat because if you don't, they're they're foreign to them on an intimacy mm-hmm. level. They're that's foreign. Right. That's so, right. well, it, so when we don't know something and we don't know, and we're also brainwashed into something that's a lie, mm. we're going to be afraid. And we're going to have that, that visceral response. Yes, we are.
0: If you have a visceral fear response where your mind shuts off and the reptile brain turns on and you're holding a gun yeah. and you're a police officer and you've been trained to already think this in your training and in your human life training, yes. so much conspires in like five seconds.
1: Absolutely.
0: And it's why all these black men and women are being killed.
1: That is correct. And even when I was a child, like thinking about how, I love how Sean King talks about like, and this was like last year, he was talking about this on his podcast, The Breakdown, about how he was talking about how, and he brought this up again in a recent podcast episode about how little children, Mm. how black kids are getting sent. They're getting arrested at school. like. And so I remember my experience growing up, um, basically, I absolutely was punished more and went to the principal's office more than the other people in the classroom.
2: Mm.
1: I mean, it was like, I just stuck out like a sore thumb. I was the only black kid. And it was just like, you're the problem one. And a lot of black folks will know when you're growing up around people, around a bunch of people who are not black you will absolutely get targeted. Like you're the criminal, you're the problem. Mm -hmm. This is the target. So it's very, what you're talking about it are the nuance and the complexity of the discrimination, how it is brainwashed into society, how it's brainwashed into white people and taught to white people. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, this comes back to really, if we really want to get back to it, just let's let's, for example, talk about black folks specifically. Um, because technically in the United States of America, it used to be against the law to basically be friends.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It was actually against the law.
0: It's
2: law.
1: I mean, loving wasn't that long ago. Mm. And so we're talking like it used to be against the law to do that. So you could get strong and hung. Mm. Okay. And I'm just going to say you'd be called a nigger lover. Okay. Mm-hmm, people don't mm-hmm. like when I say they are like, hey, but don't say it. I'm going to say the word because that's exactly what people were called.
2: Yeah. It's true.
1: Okay. So then it's like, you're going to get hung and strung up. That's a major threat. So white people back then, they also adopted that racism because it's like, again, survival. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: That's unfortunate. And now, and what's so sad, and, and we come back to that intergenerational trauma stuff and the, also really the intergenerational, you said visceral response, you know, it's like, white people don't realize like, you no longer need to do that. We're we're not in 1964, mm-hmm. and yet you're still doing it. That's why people are like, why is it 2020?
0: That's right. And yet see, that's are- where your work comes in because, <laughs> yes. you know, I think the the kind of work you do, um, of, of course, because your specialty is through the lens of racism, you know, and 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 but the piece that the piece of the puzzle that's important about your work and anyone listening that says, you know, I'm white, I want to end this. We have to end this in us. It's not like I want to end this in the world. Like that's beautiful. Like I want it to be gone in the world, but if it's not ended in yourself, there's there's no. It'll pass on. It's gonna pass pass on. on.
1: That's right. You're gonna
0: teach it to your coworkers, your kids. I mean, and that's.
1: that's how institutional – so I want to come back to the original question I asked about yeah. kind of the institutional versus like the personal racism, right? Yes. So like, how does that all kind of tie in? Because a lot of people think if you address the personal, you omit the institutional. The mm-hmm. truth of the matter is that er- all institutional racism is called caused by the individual
2: because
1: mm-hmm. there's this huge – like within critical race theory, like like cr- critical race theory, so like what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, which came first, like the, the individual or – for the society i'm like mm-hmm. well who do you think created the society a bunch of in- individuals who right. started acting in racist ways and then they created we're talking about ideological underpinnings here mm-hmm. so but but the ideological underpinnings where do ideological underpinnings come from from one mm-hmm. psychology
2: yes
1: so it's like if you are a narcissist and you create policies that reinforce your, your narcissism. That's institutional narcissism, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why it took us so long to have gay marriage legal. Mm-hmm. All the Republicans mm-hmm. that are against, you know, queer folk, I identify as a queer person. Like, I mean, all those laws and things mm-hmm. were meant to reinforce the cognitive, dis- the cognitive distortion and, and the self deception of this human is less than because they're not like me, which is a narcissistic trait. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You have now created laws that basically say it's just and moral and right. And anyone who's against this is not right. And they're a problem. They are inherently less worthy. So when you have institutional racism, you have now created laws that say, if you are not this, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. But where does that come from? It comes from psychology. It all comes from psychology. So the way to truly permanently dismantle racism is for us to heal. Because POC need to heal from racial trauma to recover.
2: Mm-hmm. My
1: gosh, to recover. Mm-hmm. As Dr. Joy DeGroir talks about, post-traumatic slave syndrome. Like, Yeah. Hello, like interject. I love when she says to white people in the eye. she's like, hmm, did any of these black folks, did they ever get treatment? Did they ever like all that violation? Did they <laughs> ever go to treatment for all that? No. And they're expected to be okay.
0: See, I think about that a lot. And I thought, I thought about that, especially because I heard your podcast about, um, why are black people angry? Yes. And it was essentially, it was really good because it was essentially about, I mean, you get a lot out of four minutes. It was like, <laughs> Like, how does she do that? It takes me like an hour. But, you know, you, you, the way you said it about consistent boundary violations, you know, I could take myself back to middle school. And in those three years when I was hitting puberty and I was growing breasts and all these people knew. And I remember that feeling of just the way I was looked at in the hallways felt like a boundary violation. So, yes. if I freeze myself in that moment, I imagine, okay, what if that was my life? Like, what if I never grew out of that or got a surgery or like could wear a shirt?
1: Like, oh, don't get me started I, about intersex stuff because I just think it's terrible with forced surgeries and every, I mean, it's just.
0: Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, another I think, boundary I mean,
1: violation, I mean, really, a from huge the moment I born, right?
0: And, and so, what amazes me is um, I use those early experiences of my own trauma to try to understand what it must be like to be have boundary violations because of the color of your skin
1: yes the because boundary you violation get
0: away from that and, no, so you're, you're, and the way like in the way you said the way you're depicted on screen the way you're talked about in the news the way you're looked at and down the street i even imagine the the viral videos of these men being killed terrifying for a young black boy growing up mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. a young black girl boy in between so mm-hmm. i'm just kind of like I think about that. And I think that's really important because there's a whole picture, the whole side of the equation mm-hmm. of people of color mm-hmm. who have a trauma lineage and trauma response of a boundary being violated, and and just like when you say, "Where's the healing for that?" You know, that that's so not talked about. No. And my question for you, I guess that I'm getting at with this is, mm-hmm. do you think that's appropriate to do with white people present, or should black people do with other people of color?
1: What I will say is this, which is that
2: I myself, my therapist is white. And I was able to
1: address healing with a white therapist.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. That dismisses the idea that you have to, as a POC, work with a POC therapist.
0: So it's really your capacity who you're feeling safe, is. safer with? Is that what it would there be? There
1: is. There is. And so it really comes down to when you ask the question of, is it possible for, let's say, a white person to heal at the same time with a POC in the room? Absolutely, especially if they're family. Mm. This is where we get into – I actually got a, a – um, the family lived in California, but they actually asked if I could provide therapy to them because it was interracial family. So that's when you get into interracial families, for example. That's an example where healing needs to take place between spouses or life partners. And um, and we need to hold space for that. Mm-hmm. Now, what I will say is this. This, if a white person, if a white therapist can legitimately not react in cognitive dissonance with a POC in therapy, that's going to be a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. But when the white person goes into cognitive dissonance too strongly, that's when they're going to kick into the racist defense mechanism. Mm And that is when they're going to gaslight their clients in session. Mm
0: -hmm. Because they can't handle it themselves.
1: Because they can't handle it themselves. So it really
0: comes down to, it's like the facilitator... What I'm hearing, it doesn't even matter if they're black and white as much as their ability to have the capacity to hold the other person's pain without being triggered to be defensive.
1: Yes, because remember what I was saying earlier. I was saying that when I first came to Colorado, you know, or maybe I've said not podcast, when I first moved to Colorado, um, I had black women tell me this therapist was great up until we talked about racism. it's not that black people and other POC don't want to have therapy with white folks. The question really is, can the white person actually hold space for racism have? And so if they themselves have held space and this, like you said, comes back to what I do with racism recovery, if they can hold space for that visceral response, if they can not numb out, not, if they can hold space with cognitive dissonance and, and process that and unpack that, and connect and begin to understand also how that's connected to childhood trauma responses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If we can do that, see, because a lot of white therapists actually have unpacked quite a bit.
2: Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. they
1: can actually a lot of the time hold space for the racial trauma. Uh but I have found that then, like when I <laughs> Oh my God, I'm Having a good time. He's running around. I wish you could see it. He's just like
0: fuzzy
1: his fuzzy tail is going like this and he's just like, y'all like We're you know, a
0: big cat family. I
1: have five cats. So like I am a cat woman to the T. Love it. I love my cats. So so like it's gonna be a cat show. He's it's a cat right. show. He's, cat sh- he's in that mode where he's running and I mean hauling butt up cat trees and running around. Like he's oh, I know that mode
0: we call it the bowling ball cuz we have this big yes. beautiful fat cat that runs and jumps a little bowling mean,
1: ball claws and jumps <laughs> exercising and you know oh like, yeah but um so white right there i often get asked by white people who mm-hmm. um, they say is it even possible for a white person to let's say April if you train them to do racism recovery, help, you know, help the white person address their racism and heal from extra childhood trauma complex PTSD. Can a, can a white therapist do that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's important that they themselves go through racism recovery, of course, just like mm-hmm. any other trauma response in order to be an effective therapist for mm-hmm. the narcissist, right? But not every therapist is meant to be working with narcissists. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, and we know in the literature, um, when you're providing treatment for a narcissist, you've got to have impeccable boundaries.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Like you really gotta have impeccable boundaries. And so, um, that's why I think a lot of people don't want to work nurses because it's it's too triggering for a lot of people.
0: Well, that's the word right there when you're talking, I'm thinking, well, when I hear boundaries, I hear the therapist can't be getting triggered. Or, mm-hmm. you know, they're not gonna be able to be clear enough to facilitate the healing that has mm-hmm. to happen, right?
1: Correct. So you really have to know like what is going on with the so that's how I end up creating my racist signature theory. Because if oh, because so the racist signature theory is essentially uh, a way to analyze uh, defense mechanisms, mm-hmm. and the reason why I created this theory is because, like we all do when we study psychotherapy, I mean, theories inform us; they inform our practice. We, we you know, they're based on patterns that have their, you know, their evidence based in their theory. You know, I mean, observation, correlation, it's science, behavioral science. And I couldn't find anything that could help me really fully understand racist behavior in our world. Mm-hmm. And so that's when, of course, I was, you know, I created the theory after really working with tons of white people just in coaching. Now, I, again, when I first started coaching, I thought, oh, all I have to do is just teach them these rules and they'll behave. <laughs> no.
2: mm-hmm.
1: It's like, no, like, and then I'm like, why are they still acting in racist ways? Mm. Well, it's a trauma response. And I'm like, oh. <gasps> Oh my goodness. And then that's when I, um, and the, that's when I created the racist signature theory. So there are seven core signatures and 42 racist signature patterns. So we'll talk uh, about the 42, but I will talk about the core seven. These are very Great. Important. Great. So the seven racist signatures are essentially the seven, um, racist defense mechanisms. So the first one is denial. The second one, second one is intellectualization. Now, as therapists, when we listen to that, we're like, oh, defense mechanisms, we know that. That's nothing new, which is true. But here's who we get some other things that aren't what we think about in therapy when we think of defense mechanisms. Third one is saviorism. That's not a traditional defense mechanism, Mm -hmm. but that's something that I saw observation correlation happening. So when we were talking about like, so in the saviorism, that would be the codependence kicking in. That's like the bypassing of the feeling. And that's a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. And that's narcissistic. Because I don't want to feel, like I don't want to feel, I don't want to feel right I just
0: want to—I want to say what you just said, so everyone hears that defense yes. mechanism is bypassing the feeling. Yes. Just so you're all hearing that as, as April continues,
1: that's yes. important. Absolutely. So then we have—so all of them bypass feelings. All of them. All of these defense mechanisms are a yeah. way of bypassing our feelings, like yeah. in our beings. Like when when a white person does this, they're bypassing their feelings. Yeah. So we're talking. They go into a state, and I also way of. Distancing themselves from holding space for that pain of shame. Mm-hmm. Intellectualization is a way to bypass the shame that they feel. Saviorism. I will save this POC and give them money and bend them. And I don't have to feel it. I'm just helping and I'm doing activist work. I don't want to feel. I just want to like fix it. I want to fix it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, then we get into perfectionism. Perfectionism is also its own little defense mechanism. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Then we get into projection. Projection is what we see on Instagram. We see white people go after other white
0: people. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs>
2: talked
1: about originally, people don't realize they think that's not racist. Oh, it is so racist, and the reason why it's racist is because now you're trying to bypass your feelings by now focusing all of your attention on another white person because you yes. don't want to hold space for the, for the for your shame. So and that's
2: let me
0: the just focus, projection.
1: Then we just project onto another <sighs> white person their racism, right? And
2: that's this is so
0: is- important for everyone to hear. So important. Yes. So important because oh. there were these little teams of people just going into comments.
2: On on pages
0: they don't even follow, saying things like, What are you doing? How dare you? I bet. And I'm so glad you're saying that projection piece. Everyone can hear that. (laughs) Because when I was happening to me, I knew that's what was happening. So I wasn't taking it personally, but I was also thinking, Wow, this is what it feels like to be black. I have all these white people telling me what to do. I'm like, This is so interesting that we're fighting racism with more white supremacy, just white on white this time.
1: So it, it's just like A it's not so much the feeling of it is to be black, but it is the feeling of being bullied in masses. Mm,
0: bullied, okay, better, much better word.
1: Bullied in masses. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're talking cyberbullying. Mm-hmm. So the racist projection, white people are, and again, this gets back to the the um, addiction too. White people right now on Instagram are addicted to jumping other white people and they think that this is activism and it's not, it's bypassing their own feelings. Cause when you ask like Jane Elliott, she's a perfect example. And again, Jane, if you're listening, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but I'm like, girl, I got to tell it. I got to tell it. <laughs> so like you go right into racist projection when you jump in other white people, because mm. like it was, I- I'm going to say this very specifically because yeah. One day I was on I was on Facebook and I saw and my alma mater is the University of Houston and I was watching Dr. Jean Ladding. She is a black psychotherapist over at U of H. And she's one of our professors. I, I never got the pleasure of, of, of learning from her, but there are many of my colleagues who have, and she was under at the time, the children and family social work kind of concentration, right? So she does a lot of community work in, in Houston, the black communities, a lot of work, right? Um, trying to dismantle institutional racism, stuff like that. And Jean Ladding, Dr. Ladding, asked Jane Elliott,
2: asked her, she basically asked her
1: like, have you held space for, how do you reckon with holding space for your own white privilege? Now that's what I'm talking about. Now we're getting heart center. Now yeah. we're getting vulnerable. Yep. And I watched Jane Elliott dissociate on the video. Mm. She just immediately dissociated. And you know what she started doing? She started crying
2: mm. because oh. she
1: actually originally tried to get out of the question yeah. And Dr. Ladding redirected her. Okay, I hear you out, but the thing is, because mm-hmm. she starts saying, Well, I focus on white folks. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about you.
2: Mm-hmm. How
1: do you hold space for your white privilege? How do you hold space for that? And 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 Jane Elliott, she just started crying. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of stuff in my practice I want to hold space for. Like,
0: mm-hmm. you
2: need mm-hmm.
1: to like Yes, right. yes and let that out let it out that was what i was going
0: to ask you is like when you you want to get to the shame and the pain and yes. go into that, embody that
1: yes and so because jane elliott she's stuck in this process trauma response of going after white people and yeah. noticed she's been doing that for so long with the with the blue eye uh, blue mm-hmm. eye brown eye thing And yet, as even as much work as she's done, what does she do to white people in those spaces? She starts jumping them (laughs) and shaming them. And because we live in such a violent society and such an abusive society, unfortunately, everyone goes, yeah, yeah, get the white people, get them. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you realize that you're kind of going into like gladiator mode and you're like in the whole arena mm-hmm, going, yeah, mm-hmm. slaughter the white person. Cause they, that white person is going through a trauma response and actually they need like help. Yeah. And, and of course, guess what it's called? Of course, Robin D'Angelo. It's called white, white fragility.
2: fragility.
1: And so then white people are then further shamed and told, Oh no, now you're going, Oh gosh, you white people, mm-hmm. fragile. Mm-hmm. White and fragile. So what white people do, like Robin DiAngelo and Jan Elliott, this is what they do. They, they become enmeshed with POC and they internalize the anger, legitimate mm-hmm, anger mm-hmm, that POC feel for being continually violated. Like mm-hmm. I talked about in the podcast episode, repetitively violated. Anger is, of course, a normal feeling to have when you are being repetitively violated. That's yep. your, that's your soul going, uh, this is a bounty violation when you do something yep. about this, right? Um, But unfortunately, when you're oppressed, you can try to set a boundary. But if you're oppressed, that's easier said than done. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Right. But but back to that, though, with Jane Elliott and Robin DiAngelo um, and all these white people who scold other white people and think they're doing them a service every time they're asked questions about their own feelings and their own racism. I mean, Robin DiAngelo will say all the time, I haven't really been able to stop my racism. It's a lifetime work. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're teaching white people supposedly how to stop their, But you haven't been able to stop. -hmm. That's like someone who is isn't in recovery. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: They don't walk the walk, talk the talk. It's not. It can't be performative.
2: Mm -hmm. These
1: actually, um... these like straight up, legitimately have had sobriety, legit sobriety, so that they can truly, truly guide because they've been through the motions Mm -hmm. and they can then hold space for the other person to suffer because they've actually. H- held through the motions. So then you. So what happens is you get again. You get Janet, Romney Angelo. They then internalize the anger that, for example, a lot of Black women have. Legit anger. Mm-hmm. That space needs to be held, and they internalize and go, you know what? They're pissed at them. I need to be pissed at them. Whoa. Mm-hmm.
2: You're not Black.
0: You're not Black. Why
1: are you pissed at them?
0: I, I want to pause that because that's, that's something I'm hearing. Bonding,
1: by the way, that's trauma. Yes.
0: Bonding. I'm hearing so much of that from, uh, my white clients saying things exactly in friends, saying things like, I feel like I'm supposed to be angry. And the truth is I'm not. And I'm like, good. Cause you're not dealing with that. That's a good boundary <laughs> you're having. <laughs> Don't, right. you know, you, you didn't have that, that you didn't grow up in a project having to see this every day. That's not your experience. Uh, and yep. so I love that you're saying that because I don't think it's going to heal racism when someone tries to try on someone else's experience. It's almost right. disrespectful, if anything. It's inauthentic.
1: inauthentic. It's Authentic. inauthentic. It's not legit. It's not honest. Right. And really, I think it's a desperate attempt to develop and cultivate
2: empathy.
0: Co- I completely agree. And that's why I like the stance. And then I want to hear the rest of the seven. Uh, I like the stance of, okay, I can understand my white privilege, not feel guilty because I have white privilege and use the capacity from white privilege to hold the trauma of POC. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like that's such a holistic way to work with yourself if you're white and you're feeling guilty and you don't know what to do.
1: Yeah, because you you add to that or
0: does that work?
1: You need to Yes, you need to authentically be white and authentically hold space for that and authentically hold space for the traumas that you have had in your life. Because if really, white folks, if you really, truly want to empathize with POC, the way to do it is to hold space for your own traumas. No, you're not going to go through the same traumas that the POC are going to go through, but at least you have something in common trauma. At least, but not in the way of enmeshment. That not, what
0: you just said was the gold. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, I hope everyone here, I might replay it uh, in the edit, it, just to hear that, if you're going to hold space for POC, hold space for your own trauma. Yes,
1: that's like, the real way to have, cultivate yes. empathy because you're, you know, when I coach my clients, they get shocked by the third coaching and they're like, wait a minute, April, you're talking about self-love. Like, what are you mm, talking about? Mm and and they're like that that seems selfish i mean i've got i've got racism like i'm not and i'm like you're a narcissist you don't love yourself
2: mm-hmm. how do you
1: think you're gonna let go of that narcissism you got to learn to love yourself self-compassion
0: and if everything's projected do. right if there isn't yes, self-compassion it's, you it's can't have compassion, compassion.
1: For it. so it's right. fake compassion
2: right.
0: and right.
1: i wouldn't even go so far as to say it is as cynthia wall said in the Course of trust it is it's, what does she say? It is, because it's performative, it is pretend trust. Mm.
2: Mm.
1: It's your faking trust. trust. She used an example in the book where she talked about how, like, you know, like, let's say that you meet somebody, it's kind of an acquaintance. Um, driving with them, you don't really necessarily trust how they're driving. mm
2: mm-hmm.
1: And you're really starting to get scared. You feel uncomfortable. Maybe they're driving too fast. Maybe they're not stopping at stop signs. Like it's like it's causing, it's triggering, right? And then you think, should I or shouldn't I tell this person that I'm scared, that I am feeling uncomfortable? Like should I say that? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't want to say that because I don't want them to think that I don't trust them. Mm -hmm. oh my goodness and then you're faking it till you make it and that's Mm -hmm. what's happening in the performative ally shit it's like we're gonna fake it till we make it so that we look good and that so that that's all codependent stuff the only only thing about cynthia wall's book and i and i kind of get where she's coming from but i wish she would have just talked more about trauma because she kind of like skirts from it i think she does like she doesn't she's like well i don't want to Trauma really should be discussed in therapy, but we really need to be transparent about trauma because this is part Absolutely. of stigmatizing that trauma is so pervasive in our society. That's so crazy. if we really want to have empathy, if POC, or if white folks want to have empathy with POC, they need to understand that our society—we've all gone through a certain degree of trauma, mm-hmm. and many of us have had some type of trauma as children. And that really is that common thread. Mm -hmm. Now for POC, they go through that and the racism. But at least it's like white folks can go, wow, like I need to cultivate empathy for myself and self-compassion. And it's a trip because all of my coaching clients, they basically are like, when they start to develop self-compassion, true self-compassion, hold space for the stuff they're trying to run from. I mean, they literally, I literally... (laughs) I get DM would by their partners
2: mm-hmm. and they literally like my whole relationship has changed. Mm-hmm. Like I never thought that would happen. Like my partner,
1: I can talk about racism and they are legitimately holding space and they're not feeling like it's all about them and they're very bad and they're very bad people because what white people do is they go in cognitive distortions, See, that's also why they go into the cognitive distance because when we think of racism, we think KKK, and white nationalists. So then, when the white person goes, I don't want to be labeled a racist, because then that means that I'm a bad person. Mm-hmm. But white people act in covertly racist ways that are unintentional. Yes, it's racist. Yes, it's a boundary violation. Yes, they've been brainwashed to act this way, but it's unintentional. And they actually do, for the most part, are very good people. Mm-hmm. But they need to understand that. So then, what happens is they just want to be good again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's also why they quickly jump. I just want to be seen as a good person again, and be seen good. And that comes back to parenting. That comes back to childhood. If you if you're good and you follow the rules, you're a good kid. And if you don't follow the rules, you're a bad kid. And this just gets that raw. It gets that
2: raw.
0: I really, I'm, I'm really glad you're saying that. I want everyone to hear that before we go into the. Finish the seven up, while we have time. Yeah. I want everyone to hear that piece, because that's, that's the core of my work, and what I'm always talking about to my base, is number one, fawning. I talk a lot about fawning, and this is an example of that as well. But it's so much about the beautiful thing that I've come to find in my own racism recovery work, mm-hmm. in any work I've done, even even my work, uh, you know, I was such a man-hater, because that's where all my relational trauma came from men. So mm-hmm. I didn't trust mental maybe five years ago. But in all my work of trying to heal whatever the thing was I was afraid of, let's say, mm-hmm. it came from healing my own trauma because there's this there's a big, almost like a magical human connection. When you go into that, it's a spiritual almost awakening when you can heal your own trauma and feel it and hold it and embody it and then still feel safe. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, you you can witness anyone's truth about you or yeah. about their experience and feel safe. And I feel like if we're cultivating that somatic safety through Mm -hmm. our trauma work, Mm -hmm. we can do this work you're talking about Mm -hmm. around racism. We can Mm -hmm. recover because we can hear and be authentic in that intimacy. Because we're also creating,
1: because we're creating that safe container for ourselves within our heart. That's
0: right. That's right.
1: And so it's like when I hear people say that white people shouldn't be in safe spaces when they're unpacking their racism, I'm like, ho, 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 this is our response. They absolutely right. need to be in a safe space. Yes. And because otherwise, if they're not safe, they're going to kick right into performance, like hypervigilance. I'm just getting that's another thing. The performative allyship is hypervigilance. I'm just going to walk on eggshells yeah. because I don't want to be called a racist. And I'm scared. I'm scared. And so what white people often feel with me and they feel very comfortable with me, I can correct them as in confront them on their racism. But I don't do it in a shaming way. I do it in a very trauma informed way. And, they, and, and in general, when they interact with me on Instagram more and more and more, they see themselves in what I'm saying. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And they're like, wait a minute. I feel that. And I have felt that a million times. How does this person know that? And that's because I've actually, what I do is evidence-based. Yes. Maybe it's not in clinical trials yet.
0: <laughs> and who cares? It, it works.
1: evidence-based. I have <laughs> consistently like this. Yes. People wonder like, April, how is everything that you're saying makes sense to me as a white person? Yeah. Um, It's because I've, consistently seeing the symptoms and the behaviors and see what works and what doesn't work
0: that's right and, and I, I want to add to that because yeah. when you say that why does it work for me as a white person my experience as half a white person yes. is it works for me because it's through the lens of trauma and it's mm-hmm. through the lens of compassion and every human has a nervous system yes. so that's the thing that really binds us is this, this heart and this nervous system and traumas mm-hmm. in the nervous system, and so what I've experienced just in this podcast with you, several times you've corrected me when I've been covertly racist.
2: All of my, all
1: of my uh, podcast interviewers, I end up, it's gonna happen cause, and because.
0: And it was great.
1: I want people to learn too. I want them and it to. Was,
0: learn. The, and I want to learn. It. And what I love yeah. about you, when you did it, I didn't feel one shred of defense. <laughs> like, not not a, shred. not
2: a shred yeah
0: and and i want everyone <laughs> i want everyone who's listening you know i'm sure you've heard the points where it came up rewind if you want to like it's amazing you know when april corrected me it had nothing to do with me she yeah. corrected it as a thing that's been taught a thing that i wasn't aware of a thing that's trauma-based and you it's can feel that with you
2: it's called
1: compassionate detachment in my friends it's, called
0: it's compassionate beautiful detachment. and, and that, it's, it's beautiful
1: i'm able to do that I am able to practice compassionate detachment. So when a lot, and then I promise I'll get to the signatures. So it's like a lot of POC go, how can you essentially like POC assume that I want them to practice compassionate detachment with white people. My, like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not telling you to do what I do. Oh, I go into the lion's den. Like, I don't expect you to do that. That's not your role. That's not your profession. That is not what you should be doing. For so, sometimes POC, sometimes POC see my work and they go, wow, we're so glad you're here because I couldn't possibly do what you do. Like, my goodness, I, I have enough stuff to deal with on my own. Like, mm-hmm. hey man, thank you for doing that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you're welcome. I'm, I'm happy to do what I got to do. And, you know, it helps them set boundaries with white people, right? <clears throat> Understand the psychology of racism. And then, um, but other POC, of course, and trauma response get very triggered and they think they assume that I'm in some type of trauma bond or enmeshment with white people. Like Mm -hmm. I must be allowing them to violate boundaries with me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they go, wait a minute. I don't want to let a white person violate boundaries with me. No, no, no. no. I'm not telling you that. And I'm not Mm -hmm. encouraging you to do that. In fact, I encourage all POC to test their relationships and to, I actually often again, say publicly and white people don't like when I say this, but it is the truth. It's the truth, which is that, uh, And and POC know when I say this, if they hear this, which is you basically can't trust a white person to not act in a racist way unless they, and it just really is, unless they've achieved racism recovery. And what is racism recovery? Racism recovery is trauma recovery, but it's more than just trauma recovery. Now, I didn't coin the term racism recovery. Racism recovery, the term was actually originally used for POC, who have been the victims of racism, and they experienced racism recovery. Except I do the opposite of Dr. Joy DeGruy. I'm working with the perps. So she's doing the post-traumatic slave syndrome, for example, with black folk. I'm doing the intergenerational risk perpetration with white folks that intergenerational racist perpetration. So it's like, we're talking about intergenerational stuff that I'm helping white people heal and racism recovery means we have, at least within my framework, we have unpacked your narcissism, which is racism and connect and help us connect to childhood traumas. And when, then after that, we then nip down the bud and treat that. Now I am just in August about to start my basic level training for EMDR. And I absolutely want to do that with white people and nip that nice, good. Nice, nice. And then probably after that, I'd like to do like somatic training. I mean anything that's exposure based or anything fight or flight body oriented, you know.
0: I, want to, I just want to say what you said though and yeah, regulate. you yeah. would rock at somatic experiencing. Regulate
1: the parasites, regulate that. That's right. Sympathetic nervous system, because that's that visceral response. Yes. And and that needs to be regulated. And so white people, essentially the reason why, so white folks listening, no matter how many rules you learn, you're going to end up flinching
2: because you're going to get into
1: that defense mechanism and it's deep. And so racism recovery. So when people work with me, they can either, they either do coaching with me and then they unpack the narcissism through psychoeducation. And then if, what am I coaching? Because when we think of a coach, like, what are you coaching? What's the goal? Well, mm-hmm. the goal is for the white people to get to a point where they let go of performative allyship. That's mm. really hard. Ooh, they're mm-hmm. detoxing from performative allyship.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, so that's the addiction.
1: That's the addiction. It's yeah. very difficult. It's
0: detox. We can't even
1: We can't even begin to get to racism, begin that treatment until we detox from performative allyship.
0: Mm. That's heavy. That's, I hope people hear that's that. It's beautiful.
1: Cool. That's what's happening in coaching. We're just doing a lot of psychoeducation and doing that stuff. And we do a little bit by bit. Um that's why I tra- I changed it from a seven week. <laughs> There's no way there that was experimental. I mean, it was excellent, but it was, was no way. Like that's why it's a year-long program. It's a lot to unpack. Mm, good. I can technically stretch it to two years if I want to. I mean, it's just a lot to unpack. Where can be, I
0: just want to ask, where can people sign up or learn about that?
1: Racismrecoverycenter.com.
0: Okay. And is that, is that like nationwide? Like anyone can join yes. that on zoom call? Oh, nice. Yes.
1: So basically with the coaching, anybody can join. And so <laughs> they learn the, they learn the racist signature theory. And so let, let me get back to the signatures and then we get back to that. So mm-hmm. I talked about racist projection. That's number five. Number mm-hmm. six is the racist rejection of whiteness. Mm. So what is that? This one's really kind of deceptive as hell. <laughs> So racist rejection of whiteness is when a white person is very ashamed of their whiteness and they try to like basically erase any and all whiteness Mm. from themselves, Mm -hmm. which means I'm going to culturally appropriate, I'm going to racially appropriate, I'm going to just basically reject anything having to do with my white culture. Mm -hmm. Because I want to distance myself from whiteness, because if I distance myself from whiteness, I can then be less threatening to POC. I'm a less, less of a threat. And you'll have lots of POC give ally cookies and say, thanks for, you know, you, you know, thanks for acting black on these guys. (laughs) I like
0: cookies. I like like ally cookies.
1: cookies, And I'm just like, POC, please stop giving these ally cookies because these white folks are not healing.
2: Mm.
1: Like they don't know. And they don't like when I say this. And I'm like, look, man, I'm a psychotherapist. Mm hmm. I am not going to BS you. Like, I'm telling Mm -hmm. you legit, you want some good allies, some true solidarity. These white folks need heal.
0: Well, if you're denying your whiteness, you're denying the part that's racist. You're not touching it.
1: Exactly. So then we're not even holding space for that. So, like, we can't even, like, unpack that. So that's a bypass. It's another bypass. Another bypass. Mm Mm-hmm. So then we have the final one, which, ooh, extra deceptive, is racist leadership. Mm. Oh, and that's what Robin D'Angelo and Jen Elliott do. Racist leadership. Mm. You haven't actually achieved racism recovery, but then
2: you go teaching white people. You now lead this stuff. How many of us jump into leadership and we haven't actually done the real work yet? Me. That's what
1: I did when I first started doing my work. I thought I was good. No, I need to get my butt back into therapy.
2: (laughs) No. Oh, yeah.
1: No. It's like, hello, as Nina would say, "Hello, somebody." Like I just had to
2: mm-hmm.
1: all mm-hmm. on my booty, mm-hmm. and it was an experience, and it was a learning experience for sure. Super painful, but it had to be done. Mm-hmm. And so, white folks that then try to teach other white folks, why do they do that again? Because they're taught by other mm-hmm. POC.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: need to be getting after white people in this day. You need to te- you need to lead this and teach them. Because I don't, want, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. You're fine. You don't have to deal with this. Mm-hmm but these white people are not credible to be doing this stuff.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. You're even okay. And why are they okay with that level? I'm all about POC. Let's like raise the standard of what we expect from white
0: people. Yes. I love that.
1: Let's raise that. They, th- they think <laughs> POC think that I'm like, the standards are low. Listen to me. Anytime I talk to white folks and I say racism recovery, Oh, mm-hmm. it's a mental illness. People. What? What? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you mean it's it's connected to mental illness? And racism is a type of narcissism.
0: Well, Those standards are really high, in my opinion. Your standards, the standards
1: are very high. But you want don't
0: want care. them to bypass. All these other Correct. things are bypassing.
1: Correct. They're so are not doing
0: any shift, no transformation. There's happen. no
1: shifting around. Right. And so what white people do is that they when they come across my Instagram, really what they're seeking is that fix. Yeah, they're seeking a fix. Yeah, and those who I find that I tend to attract the people such as yourself that aren't looking for the quick fix. You're looking for that deeper healing, mm-hmm. that because you've tasted that before,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you feel, you value that. Mm-hmm. So people that value racism recovery, you have to actually value mental health, and you have to value healing, to mm-hmm. value trauma recovery. If you do, you're gonna you're gonna do like well, but those uh, yeah. that...
0: I just want people to hear that yeah. because we have to close soon. And that, that was one of the questions I was going to ask, you know, mm-hmm. what's the thing people can kind of almost like a compass? Cause there's such a, cra- a craze right now, understandably why it's there, but there's such a craze of, I need to fix this now. Yeah. And I love what you're just saying about, you know, can you just tell everybody one more time, like what do you want to feel in your body? What do you want to think about? What do you want to notice to really heal this in yourself?
1: Hmm. Well, the first thing that I tell people why I have this webinar series is that you need to learn to get to a point where you trust yourself
0: Mm. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: because white people, when they act in unintentionally racist ways, the
2: first thing that they do, I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself. And then you give away all your power to
1: these influencers and you're wide open to abuse. And then you're not going to learn anything. You're actually not going to learn anything because we all know, Luis, that if we're in a trauma response, we don't learn jack shit. Mm-hmm. And that fawn response, are we going to learn anything? Mm-mm. Hell, so the no, we're not going to learn anything. We're not going to learn anything in a fawn response.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Our brain literally can't learn anything.
0: Literally can't take it.
1: Literally anywhere. can't learn anything. And then these poor white people are like, I don't understand why I don't learn. Yeah. You're, you're in fawn response. You, you, you. You're, exp- sit down, shut up, be quiet. Don't say, Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, oh my goodness. You know, <laughs> and I'm just like, what is going on here? So for one, like, and white folks to be hard for you. You're going to have to detox from performative allyship. So I talked about the trust, but another mm-hmm. thing when you're asking me that, what does it feel like? What does it mean? Mm-hmm. And this is like the biggest barrier to ease. Like I said, my whole coaching program is about detoxing from that performative allyship. It is like pulling teeth trying to get people to deep talks of a performative allyship and so white people are going to have to slow
2: down oh Love they
1: it. don't like it when i say that because it's <laughs> like we want to do something right now yes. i'm like hey, i go ah. and if, if people think that people think that when i say that they think you're just ignoring social injustice i'm like listen to me if you act impulsively in an activist space and you act in a racist way unintentionally to a POC in activist space, guess what Mm -hmm. you are holding back progress. Mm
2: -hmm. You are not Mm -hmm.
1: an ally. You are causing more damage to that POC. And what are we trying to do? And racism in society, right? We're trying to dismantle racism. So basically slow down. And you know what? It is literally, like, aside from, so actually, if we want to do, like, the pre-step before weaning, oh, that's the most difficult thing. When I say slow down. Mm, I agree. Oh, they're like, we can't slow down. I said, you need to slow down.
0: See, that's where the addiction withdrawal comes in. Because when you're yes. hyped on the adrenaline of, like, I'm fixing racism, you can't feel. Right? You but if you're slowing feel. down, you have to feel. You have to feel. <laughs>
1: yes you know I, I, so then they get upset with me even my coaching clients get upset oh what do you mean like everyone window, every right. they're detoxing they're yes. exactly they're going through withdrawals Love right that. now and and that is i'm telling you and but the gains that you get from withdrawing of course are they mm-hmm. outweigh be-
0: goodness and they're long lasting
1: and they're permanent
0: yeah this so isn't it, until the fab blows over and you go back to life it's like you have changed yourself you and have the renapped
1: and the relapses do happen with white people with performative allyship. It's the most sure. important barrier because uh, that's why. So, in some, let's say that they—I bet people—they're gonna—they always—I always get this question. Well, April, what does racism recovery look like? <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. people
1: are like, "Oh, she's talking all this smack, and maybe she's <laughs> just like it up. Doesn't really happen. Doesn't really—you know—I always get this. You know, it's yeah, true. Yeah, of course, this, like, hey, of course. Blowing smoke up my ass. You know? And ass. I'm like. I'm like, I get this all the time, right? And it's understandable the skepticism. I just get the question so many times that I already know what people are (laughs) gonna ask because it happens so much, such frequency. What does racism recovery look like? Well, first of all, um, I'm gonna tell you when it comes to the stages of change, the biggest barrier is gonna be between the maintenance and the relapse. And Mm -hmm. why is that? Because until you achieve trauma recovery, as it is connected, so if you don't, what does that trauma recovery look like? Trauma recovery of your racist narcissism, Mm -hmm. of your racism, which is narcissism. Mm -hmm. If you don't get trauma recovery as a narcissist, specifically, Mm -hmm. because people go, oh, well, I'll just go to a therapist and like heal trauma. Like, "Mm -hmm." Mm -hmm. You have to actually go to a narcissist specialist. So anyone that is listening, if you want to go to a therapist, you need to basically go to a therapist that specializes in narcissism. And actually those therapists are not going to know how to address your racism for the most part. Mm -hmm. I'm literally the only one that does that. Like I later I'll train people, but you need to be able to connect the dots between your racism, which is your narcissism, heal the trauma behind that. Now where the relapse occurs is when you do not heal from the trauma. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. And we see that in addiction. I mean, we see all the time. This is the relapse that it's hard to maintain sobriety when you haven't achieved trauma recovery.
0: So I just want to say, just to break it down for everybody, as April's saying this, to heal your narcissism, which is your numbing of your pain, Mm -hmm. one of the ways it's coming out for you, your addiction is through racism. And Mm -hmm. so to really heal the addiction, the behavior, the result, which is the racism, you have to actually heal the narcissism.
1: And that's specifically the performative allyship. So the performative allyship is the addiction.
0: Yeah, they poor Alex got it.
1: But also it is connected to narcissism too, because the narcissist is addicted to soothe it is addicted to numbing pain with relationships with other people and exploiting them.
0: That's what I was feeling. I'm like, well, if I don't want to feel something, I'll protect onto that black man, and make it about him. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's where it becomes that quality of trying to numb what I'm feeling. I'll make it about this group. That's I'm better, I mean. they're worse. I feel better now.
1: That's right.
2: That's so
0: amazing. I never saw it like that before. I think it's so, I think it's so important for everyone to hear. I mean, it's, it's it's actually a really, um, uh, unhealthy, dangerous way to regulate the nervous system, like very, very, uh, unsustainably. Totally
2: unsustainable. Just like,
0: like bullying, you said. Correct. And
1: that's that's why white, yeah, because then you start bullying yourself. You, you, yourself, you gaslight yourself. (laughs) That's abandonment trauma. So then you abandon yourself, self-sabotage, emotional numbing. Mm. I don't want to feel the pain. I'll abandon myself. Mm -hmm. No. And so white people need to understand that it's connected to childhood trauma. It's getting manifested in their race behavior. They've been taught racist schemas, the stereotyping too. Mm -hmm. It's complex. Mm -hmm. And it's so important. Like you said, we just talked about that to slow down. And and Mm -hmm. people need to understand this like, there there's addressing racism comes from many comes from many disciplines so people often want to tell me april like can you solve systemic racism and i'm like i am looking at it from the psychological lens this is my piece that i'm contributing to the pie like there's a legal way to look at it there's a historical way to Mm -hmm. look at it and i'm addressing the psychological part of it Mm -hmm. and i am educating people to understand why on a psychological level do we have a cultural psychology of racism? Mm-hmm. Why is that? So you need to understand the history of it, the psychology of it, the institutional laws and policies that that reinforce that mm-hmm. and normalize. Because these institutional racist laws, they reinforce and normalize this mm-hmm. And when
0: you say reinforce, my mind says, and this is where psyche comes in, because who reinforces it? Human beings. A law is a piece of paper. It's a yep. structure we created. Who upholds mm-hmm. the structure? The
1: psychology of the person behind it.
0: Exactly. So if we're healing this individual narcissism and then that's being healed throughout the communities and generations, no one's going to uphold the law. It's going to be ridiculous to them. But they can't (laughs) even see that now because they believe they need the law still.
1: Right, right. And That's why it's so dangerous. And that's why POC can't understand why white people, like why (sighs) anti-racism becomes more of a trend and something that's not permanent. Correct. Uh, It's because white people need to heal on that deeper cellular level. They need to heal on the cellular level or they're going to continue to perpetuate that narcissism from generation to generation. And they got to stop the cycle of abuse. So basically in me helping the white person heal that racism, that narcissism within and addressing that complex PTSD from childhood, we are effectively ending that cycle of abuse. And Everybody that will did. that will individually contribute to the overall healing. So we need to advocate for anti racist laws and policies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But we also, but but folks also need to do the deeper inner work too. Simultaneously, that really does need to happen because if we only do it on the outside.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a tissue roll pop like mm. i mean this is like okay you never
0: know the woman <laughs> <laughs> said the wise owl no i think I, I love we're gonna close on this because i feel like the biggest um the the experience of guilt i tend to see most prevalently amongst white people is around um Gosh, is it enough for me just to sit here and talk about my pain about this and heal it? And I'm like, yeah, because the more you get to that center of your Tootsie Bob, <laughs> right? You know, the more you get to that center and you get vulnerable and you be you're safe with your vulnerability, you don't judge it anymore. Oh my goodness, you you become a real ally for other people. You become
1: fierce vulnerable. and courageous and you do and those things that POC would like you to do, to have courage. Yeah. Kour, from the heart, that's the meaning of kour, to have courage. Mm. It comes from the heart. Mm. You know, words are so powerful. That's why I said narc and courage and kour, because it comes from the heart. How do you do that? You got to heal your heart or you don't have courage to go and do this amazing activist work. So like to me, Mm -hmm. when I hear that white people are, they're going to a trauma sponsor trying to avoid holding space for
2: that pain.
0: I, and I and I, that's the part I want everyone to hear because when you're saying about the courage and the core and the heart, mm-hmm. it's like that's a felt sense. And so people of color are going to feel that. Other oh, white people are going to feel. People are not going to feel that you're you're being inauthentic. <laughs> that's and at, right. right. And at first your inauthenticity will be rewarded because it's a trend, but then it's going to wear off.
1: It's going to so, wear right? off.
0: Right? So we want that core oh. healing so that felt sense can reverberate. And that's when we're actually healing the lineage traumas too oh the body, yes because right? then
1: that's that's how you gain that resilience mm. that's mm. how you get that that cellular courage and it gets passed on from one generation to the next
0: so final question about your webinar is that something that you have to sign up for you know at a certain date and then wait till the next one opens can anyone join any time what's that like for everyone listening
1: So the cool thing is I made sure that anyone can join at any time.
0: Nice. um, Very nice.
1: All you have to do is go to racismrecoverycenter.com. You're going to click on the link that says services. And in the services, there are three little sections. The first section is education. And it's going to say register. And you're just going to click on that little navy blue button. It'll take you to Crowdcast. And you will see the Curse of Trust with April Harder. And you want to click on that. It's 50 bucks for 10 weeks of wow.
0: me. It's
1: so affordable. I wanted to make this oh my gosh. so affordable You're amazing. Money. I mean, because most of the people are like, hey bro, why don't you charge more? And I'm like, because it's the beta of this. And I always like to charge lower on the beta. That's just me mm-hmm. doing b- business. And also because I figured, okay, I will do more volume, but also because there are actually a lot of white people who can't actually afford some of this stuff.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want My everyone to hear that.
1: My previous stuff was very expensive. I people think I don't like they think. Oh, April, you need to charge more. than kicking the savers and they can't help it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, oh April. like they don't realize they they don't even know that I know that they're kicking it. Oh. Like don't you? but you gotta value yourself, girl. You gotta value yourself. It's like sweetie, I used to charge three thousand dollars for mm-hmm. seven weeks. Work. Like I just, how do it. I've gotten my money, all right. Yeah.
0: It's not- <laughs> She's not being humble. She wants this to work.
1: Right. She wants what this it to is, go out there.
0: Right.
1: What it is, what it is, <laughs> is that I realized that when I had a higher ticket item, I only had a few people
2: mm-hmm.
1: learn. I'm like, my values have changed. I'm like, mm. no, mm. we need way more white people to get in on this. Cost can't be a barrier. Like we need to just get them all in. Go by volume. I'll make, and I've made good profit already. I mean, go by volume. That's how, that's how I make the business deal. Like now, yep. my whole profit situation, my whole business thing has shifted from cheaper deals, but mass volume, high, yep. high value. That yep. is how we, we balance that out. Because remember also, it's very scary
2: doing this stuff. Yep.
1: Already, already very emotionally scary. And then if cost is a barrier, that's even more difficult for people to dive into this approach, right? So to me, I'm like, our world needs, I was like, my work has to spread. And if I only want to work with a few people and make a ton of money, but like it doesn't spread, I can't Mm -hmm. really make a difference in the world. So I was like, this was my happy balance.
0: So everyone just, let's just hear that as we close. I mean, it's so generous. It's so affordable. It's so convenient because you do it from home. 50 bucks. I mean, if you're wondering, what can I do? And you're hearing on this podcast, she spent over two hours with us telling us what we can do, teaching us all about this, teaching me more about it. And I felt I knew a lot. I'm learning so much right now. (laughs) You know, this is is so beautiful. So if people want to heal in a compassionate, open space, you can really learn yourself. Sign up for April's, April's course. This is powerful stuff um i just i mean thank you is so easy to say i wish i could say more i i feel i feel uh, so much is open for me in this in this i'm calling it a session <laughs> in this interview so much Look, is open man, for me
1: Maurice, i do i do some deep rooted medicine man i do it's that gorgeous
0: the i feel money. it yeah i see it well you're 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 worry. powerful because you've done yours yeah. So there's this clarity that comes from you and it makes you yeah. feel safe to go in. So it's yeah. like, I want to go deep with you. So yeah. I, I really respect that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you feel safe, but that's good. <laughs> so that's safe. What's happened?
0: I thank you so much, so much for being on here. It, it means, a, it's, a, it's an honor. Mm. It's a real honor. Um, look, thank you all for listening. Um, there'll probably be more to come with April in the future.
1: <laughs>
0: thank you, April.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, it was, it was great. I had a good time.
0: There you have it. April has gifted us with so much free, immediate understanding and wisdom. If we take the time to go into it and we question it and we feel it and we sign up for one of her courses or we follow her work, or we we read other people who are doing understanding healing racism through trauma, through trauma healing, I should say, we start healing immediately. And if there is one less racist in your home, in your community, at your workplace, on a jury, that's a better world as far as I'm concerned. So we can all individually be that one less racist, prejudiced, judging person. And this work is a really great way to start. So as always, before you go, Take a breath, feel your body, notice your emotions, and take that awareness into your life. I want to thank you for sharing this space with me. For more information on my work or any events that I might be hosting, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. And you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at Holistic Life Navigation. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events and the information is right there hope to see you there